This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, hockey fans. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. We're in the middle of August. Definitely the dog days of summer. But amazingly, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, before we get into that, though, do want to apologize for the bit of a halfway point here with our studio. We're in. We're working on it. Um, so we'll have it up and running soon. But we're going to go with one-shot camera. Uh, no background at this point, and you got to stare at my ugly mug because Ken's still on uh, vacation. So oh, well, that's an upgrade for sure. <laughs> Over Ken's graying locks. Let's, great, great. Let's wait. Let's put a poll up. Mm. Um, who, who, who would you rather look at <laughs> yeah. for 30 plus minutes? Make sure you finish that. Who would you rather? Either Edward. Yeah. Who would you rather look at? Look at. Just look. I'd rather look at you for the next 47 minutes or Thanks, so. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Thanks, buddy. Uh, but as I said, there's actually a lot going on. Um, and the RFA's big time top of the list. Uh, Marner not signed. Rantanen not signed. Line A not signed. Point not signed. Besser not signed. What is going on? It's a big old game of chicken going on. But there's actually, for me, kind of two tiers to go down here because you obviously have management versus the players slash their agents, more so their agents. They're the ones that really you know take the wheel when it comes to this. This is why they get paid. And you're looking at different values for players that are already near the top of the league when it comes to point production and you know we now know that players hit their peaks earlier than we thought they did originally but you also have a bit of agent versus agent competition that you have to think about because a lot of this goes into comparison so i would say like as soon as one of these guys signs you're going to see all the dominoes fall Mm -hmm. but you need to sort of set that first mark and agents get mad at each other if somebody signs a bad deal, if, if somebody signs a contract and it kind of sets the table for everyone else and it's a little too team friendly, other agents get mad about that. So because of that, I think there's a lot of dancing around right now. Everybody is really doing their research and everybody's got their tough negotiating faces on because these are all big contracts and they're all very important ones. So Maddie, if you're looking into your crystal ball, who is that first domino to fall? I think it's Mitch Marner because the first domino is going to be the guy that gets the most money. And everything we've heard about the Marner camp, it may or may not be led by Mitch Marner. It might be his dad. It might be his agent, Darren Ferris. But there's been a lot of talk. that It's sort of like the, the vanity thing where, where, well, if Matthews is getting 11.6 or whatever he's getting roughly and, and Marner's got the guy who's cre- crested 90 points, even though he's a winger and Matthews is the center, Marner scored so much more. Why don't I get $11 million or more? And I think he's the top of it. Maybe Because Matthews will, doesn't have John yeah, Tavares on yes, his line? Exactly. Anyways, exactly. I digress. <laughs> and, and, and Miko Ranton, and I think, is also a guy that's going to come in near the top, uh, although he plays on a great line as well. But to me, if you look at the big picture, so I, I do think Marner is the domino, the key domino, but I think that we're seeing a changing of the guard, and it's the result of a few specific contracts that have sort of changed the way RFAs think. And one of them is the Nikita Kucherov deal. Mm-hmm. He signed a three-year pseudo-bridge, and because he signed that deal, when he came up again as an RFA again, he was right in the middle of his true prime. Not his, like, 28-year-old Anze Kopech, signed a deal for 10 million a year prime his early 20s statistical peak prime and then he was able to cash in nine and a half million dollars and at the end of that contract he's going to cash in again because he's going to have good years left so I think that 
RFAs now are starting to wonder, hmm, should we sign that Connor McDavid deal where you sign your life away for the max term, eight years? Or you look at Nathan McKinnon and Mark Scheifele, who are vastly underpaid now. They signed longer-term deals a few years back. And I think now players are wondering, should I sign the bridge or should I go the Austin Matthews? That's the other deal I think that's going to change the way people think. The five-year deal. Mm-hmm. And again, you're going to be still in your prime when it's over and get another massive payday again. So like, if who knows what inflation is going to be, but Matthews, this contract, he's getting 11.6. His next deal, could it be 14 in five oh, years? Oh, easily. Who knows what it's going to be, right? So it will be, yeah. massive payday yeah. again. Compared to, let's say, what John Tavares did, where he made $5.5 million, was hugely underpaid. He gets one break-the-bank contract in his career. And these guys, if they play their cards right, are going to get two. Yeah, so it's a bit of a bet-on-yourself type situation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I-, I wonder, though, uh, with these guys specifically, though, it- it is Marner, like, can the Leafs afford to get Marner on eight years, or are they basically forced to to do a Matthews-style deal, or even less down to three? And by the way, we need to come up, if a three is a bridge deal, what's a five? A five is the new, is it, it's, is it the new long-term? What's a longer? It's a causeway deal. A yeah, causeway. <laughs> I was going to say, what's a longer bridge? Yeah, yeah. Longer causeway. Bridge is. Yeah. yeah, so so is 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 that for Marner? Is we getting a causeway deal or a bridge deal, or are they going to try to get him at the eight? I think the key is just don't make it five. Like, what you don't want is for Marner and Matthews to be up the same year again. You're going to have to go through this whole thing again. So if it's a, there's, there was talk of that two-year bridge at an $8 million cap hit, or maybe they you know find a way to get him on the max term, seven or eight or eight years from, from Marner staying in Toronto. Uh, or maybe it's six, maybe it's four, but just don't make it five because you're going to have to just go through that exhausting exercise where you have both of them coming up the same year again and we've seen it with Chicago every time Kane and Taves are up they have to do them or work them together and yeah. manage the cap and it becomes extra challenging I think the yep. one that I find really intriguing sorry that was awesome Fraser's yeah. glasses are off wow uh, go ahead Ryan while I attempt to put my eyeballs back on my glasses (laughs) my glasses Uh, I was going to say the the thing to consider with Toronto in particular is you know people talk about them being cap crushed you know sort of last year heading into this season and in the future but the cap's going to go up you know, it, it, it didn't go up much this year. However, you're looking at a new American television contract coming up fairly soon. And, you know, there's going to be another CBA coming up where hockey-related revenue is going to be debated. There might be some changes to the formula. And, you know, in three, four years, with Matthews making 11-plus, if Marner's making 10 or 11 Right now, it sounds like, ooh, the Leafs can't do that because they also have Tavares and they have all these other commitments. But in a couple of years, that might not sound so crazy. It might fit into a bigger cap structure. And that's the world that I think both agents and management are living in right now. It's the possibilities of what the cap can be. If you get into trouble, you deal with it then. And that's where you saw like the Patrick Marlowe deal and like David Clarkson coming back to Toronto where it's like, okay, well, we'll deal with the problems when we have them, but let's get our most important players under contract as soon as we can. And hopefully for a long time because we want to have these players through their primes. I wonder though, if from the player agent side, because of the impending CBA negotiations and the possibility that the, the a, a, a contract will be maxed at five six for a resign 
do guys want to sign the eight, being it the new 11 or 12, the way Zetterberg and, and Franz signed back in the days, to kind of get your money right away and to get that security of a long-term deal rather than face a potential shorter potential contract on your next one in light of new CBA. You'd think so. I think that's absolutely a good theory. But so far, the trend that we're seeing, it seems to be going the other way. Mm-hmm. Where, And I think it just goes down to the idea that players and I think in a way this is a good thing for teams not financially but in terms of the production you're going to get it's getting guys signed for their real primes now because that second mm-hmm. deal is going to totally. come up sooner instead of Kopitar is the contract I keep going back to because the guy you know he signs the, the eight year deal in his late 20s and, and I mean Drew Doughty too uh, and Eric Carlson 29 years old he just he's just starting a deal at 11 and a half and how good is that deal going to look in four years even five years yeah whereas under this new system you're going to get guys signing for their true absolute peaks and I think when you look at players especially these young guys that we're talking about flexibility is not a bad thing and you're giving yourself the chance to not only up your own value say if it's a five-year deal but also if you get taken into your ufa deals with these contracts then all of a sudden you have a lot more hand Mm -hmm. than you did before if you were locked into say an eight-year contract where you say okay well do i like the organization i'm with is this team in a position to win at the end of the contract you know as they sort of approach that end of contract or do I want to look somewhere else where the grass might be greener? I, I think that's something to consider with these players is it opens up a new realm of possibilities for them. And for the top end guys, they know they're going to make their money somewhere. Sure. Speaking of uh, potentially looking where the grass is greener, Patrick Laine, uh, very interesting comments within the past week, says he's prepared for anything when it comes to his RFA deal. Is it possible that we've seen the last of Patrick Laine? In a Winnipeg Jets jersey, you know I don't want to be that cocky guy. He's like, eh, tell you, but but it, when I was asked a month ago which RFA are you most worried about, I answered immediately to anyone who asked mm-hmm. Patrick Line. Uh, and it's one of those things. It's not. I don't want to call it a concrete source. It's not that strong, but just anecdotally, industry folk that I had had chats with pretty casually that had better knowledge of Line's situation than I did. Multiple people indicated that they think he's going to be gone. That was maybe a couple months ago. And I sort of remembered that and I thought, okay, who knows if that's going to be true. But it's interesting now, these comments he made in the interview with Chris Johnson, very consistent with what I was told a couple months ago. Mm. So I'm not too surprised. And I mean, Kevin Sheveldayoff, oh man, for a guy who had constructed a great team over the last few years, you've already lost Jacob Truba and you you couldn't you couldn't resign Tyler Myers. The, the blue line is better. subtraction. Yeah, subtraction <laughs> by... No, this by subtraction. Yeah, you got it. That's yeah. right. Uh, that would be a disaster, though, if you're going to lose Line A as well in the same summer. But who knows if you can't sign him. But here's the thing. Is it a disaster? This is a guy who, after his 17-goal, 18-goal November, was nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. Decent in the playoffs. Decent in the playoffs. Which they Not, lost. Which they lost. Yeah. If you're saving... Eight, nine, ten million dollars for this guy. I know there's nobody you can go out and sign right now, but this is a deep team with a deep prospect system. Can you not fill from? I get it. He's elite, yeah. and when mm. when he's on, there might not be a better goal to, goal scorer in the world, including Ovi. When he's, when he's on, on yeah. yeah. Last year he was on 
for one month. Sometimes. Yeah, I think you know Patrick Laine's case would be a lot stronger if he was coming off a 40-goal year versus a 30-goal year because you're not getting much playmaking. You're not getting penalty killing or anything like that. You're getting a guy that can wing the puck. That's and it. If it's only three times a year, then I think you you do pause if he's asking for the moon. But for me personally, I think a lot of this is kind of saber-rattling and, and kind of playing the game and saying, ah, if I'm in Winnipeg, that's fine. If I'm not, whatever. Because it's a great way to endear yourself. It's a great way to endear yourself to the fan base. Ah, then you say, ah, it was all business. I love being here like in Winnipeg. Like Ajo. Yeah. Like Sebastian sure. Ajo. Yeah, okay. exactly. Right. And Sebastian Ajo... You know, I, I think he was quoted as saying he didn't even. He was like, "Oh, it's an offer sheet," and it's like, "Yeah, you didn't have to sign it. <laughs> like, it's not like yeah. it's not binding until you sign yeah. it." But again, that was all about gamesmanship. Sure. That was a contract negotiation essentially between Carolina and Sebastian Ajo with a big assist from the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Mark Burch, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but if I'm if I'm Winnipeg, I'm a lot more concerned about getting Kyle Connor. Because to me, yeah. Kyle Connor is a, a much better hockey player right now overall mm. than Patrick Line. I get when Line A is on, but ca- can you guarantee me that Line A is going to score thirty goals next year? I think you can guarantee thirty because thirty is now the established established yeah. floor. So but I want fifty. Yeah, you want fifty, but that's the ceiling. The one yeah. thing I'd say is that you know Connor is getting closer to his peak, and Connor is being praised for hitting thirty goals two years in a row, whereas Line A scores thirty, and that's considered bad. That that tells you how high the ceiling is for Line. Uh, and I think Connor's going to be the easier guy to sign. He already indicated last week in a public interview, he said he thinks it's going to be done before the start of the season. And I think Connor, you know what you have in him. He's going to be, I think, at, at worst, a James Van Riemsdyk kind of player who's going to be a 35-goal guy mm-hmm. every season, maybe more. He's very fast. I think you can safely sign Kyle Connor for a long-term deal, at, you know, $7 million a year, but a bing, but a boom. But whereas Line, I think the problem is the Jets might be ready to re-sign Line, but Line, I think, and he'd be wise in this case, you don't really want to commit too long at your current value because Line A, his value tanked this year. He couldn't mm-hmm. have had a worse season at a worse time by his standard. So you don't want to sign an eight-year deal now after a 30-goal, 50-point season when your ceiling is still 50 goals. People forget, too, Line A right now is the age that Ovechkin was after his rookie season. Line A had 80 goals, 80 career goals before he turned 20. So he's still very, very young. True. Uh, and he has lots of time to figure this out. And... I'm not overly worried about him in the long term. I think I think he's still going to be a 50 goal scorer. Okay, so let me let me put this a different way because I have an unhealthy obsession with the Jets because <laughs> I really wanted them to win last year and make to our make us five year out prediction. Yeah. Are covered, man. Can the Jets win a Stanley Cup as currently constituted without Patrick Line in the lineup? Without. Well, it depends on what they get for him. If they were to trade him and they bring in mm. a difference making piece. He gets offer sheeted, he signs the offer sheeted, they let him walk. You just take him out of the lineup. So you got to promote a Roslovic or somebody else mm. into his position from within. Well, here's Can what they I'll, win without Patrick? Here's Martin? what I'll say. Uh, yes, with a big caveat, and that caveat being, can Christian Veselainen come in and be not Patrick Laine, but like pretty decent because you still have some pretty amazing wingers like Blake Wheeler. You know, you have Nikolai Ehlers, you have Kyle Connor. If Veselainen can be a top six guy right away and play a similar role but in a different style than Laine, then you still got a pretty formidable lineup led by the likes of Wheeler, Mark Scheifele, you got Connor Hellbuck in net, you know, your defense isn't as good as it was, but it's still pretty good. It's still really good. 
I think it's I think it's certainly possible. But I think the Jets would have to match just because like, they're better off matching and then trading line it because four first round picks would be nice. But the problem is. They're in their window right now. If you look yeah. at, like, Dustin Bufflin's getting into his mid-30s. He's mm. really starting to break down. And Blake Wheeler's into his mid-30s now, creeping into the mid-30s. So, they're, yes, they're still a young team overall. They have some great core pieces. But the veteran components that are still major parts of the franchise, leaders, they're getting old. So I think the Jets are in a win now. Like, not not win now as in they must win this season. But they're in their, you know, three-year three year window sure. where they need to take a big shot. So going backwards... I don't know if you could do it. I think you got you have to match. How about this though? You let him walk via offer sheet. You get the four first rounders, but then later on in the season, you use some of those first rounders to acquire assets either mid-season or at the deadline to help you on a run. That way you're coming from a position of strength rather than a position of ah, we got to trade Patrick Line, give us whatever you have. That, that's two different ways of skinning a grape though. I suppose so. Yeah. But, but I get what you're saying. But then you have more you have more GMs to to deal with. I, like you don't have to deal right away. Right. When you have those first round picks, you could use them or you get into a situation where you see another team where maybe they have some injuries and they're out of the race and they have some pending UFAs that could really help you in the short term. You say, "All right, well, we can afford a first rounder or two to make our run right now." I think my thing is just I'm not necessarily sure I'm a Patrick Line believer. Mm-hmm. I, I, his performance last year scared me. And I'm sure that's why he hasn't signed yet, because it scared the Jets, too. Yep. Chevrolet's looking and saying, I don't know if I want to commit eight and a half over eight, that might be low, to a guy mm-hmm. who might just be a 35-goal scorer. Mm-hmm. He's wildly, wildly inconsistent. Yeah. The only thing you hope is he's also just very young. So maybe True. it's a trait that can be ironed out of his game as he just gets older and, and wiser. Do, do we want to beat the RFA thing a little the horse a little more or do we want to get onto the Jim Benning stuff let's talk a little Jim Benning yeah. okay Jim Benning it is then uh, Jim Benning he was extended speaking of contracts um, beyond the 2019 so did you do one year I don't I don't know if they were specific I know the extension was the headlines I read said beyond 2019-20 mm. but I don't know if there was a specific year at least what, as I checked earlier today hmm so I know we know that the extension is we don't at least till next season. Okay. Mm. But that's all we that's all I know. <laughs> it's, it's, Maybe I should know more. Well, no, I, it, I mean, at, at the time, we don't know. Let, let, we'll, I'm sure people will know once this airs. But, um, it, but the extension itself is noteworthy because Benning, up until the past few years, was getting roasted for mm-hmm. his moves. Brutal. And I think fairly. Past couple years, he's done well. And he's shaped himself a nice little roster that's on the cusp of being a, a playoff contender mm-hmm. and looks good in two to three years from now. Mm-hmm. So is this a good move for the Canucks to sign this extension, sign Benning to the extension? I, I think it's a little early. And and the reason why I think so is if you look at the the prospects, the prospect component of the Canucks that they have, they do have this really nice base they form now. It's going to be Quinn Hughes. They've got Elias Pettersson and Thatcher Demko and Brock Besser. But I, I think you give more credit to Trevor Linden and also Judd Brackett for that. Mm. And if, if there's one thing you associate more with Jim Benning, it's, you know, the Louis Erickson contract and, and mm. Derek Dorsett, and it's, it's throwing a lot of money at veterans. I think right now his timing is a bit better. I don't I didn't actually hate the moves that he made, even though you overpaid Tyler Myers. You're bringing in Myers and Michael Furlan uh, and you're trading for JT Miller. But I think this time he did it at the right juncture because the young 
the young talent crop has reached that critical mass where it's time to surround them with good players. And, and I think on paper, they do look positioned to make a run. And I, I even have been writing a lot about it this summer that I like what they've done. I think they're on the cusp of making the playoffs. The problem is it's one thing to compliment them. It's another thing to already reward that behavior when we haven't seen the season play out yet. So I don't know. I would have waited another, at least another six months. <laughs> For me, I, I don't mind the extension because I think that having consistency in your front office is very important when you're an NHL franchise and we've seen it in other places where it's been a problem. And yeah, you know, Benning's had some missteps. You know, I, I thought the JT Miller trade, I, I still don't understand why they gave up the first rounder when they were helping Tampa's cap crunch at the time. But you take the good with the bad uh, with this GM. And I, I think, you know, as you said, Matt, you know, Benning and that whole Connect scouting staff has done a very good job um, drafting and developing. You know, you look at Adam Gaudet, it was a fifth rounder. You look at, you know, Tyler Madden is also uh, looking really good in college hockey. And, they're getting to that point where all this talent is bubbling up and you know bringing in sort of the more low cost veterans at first last year i thought it was kind of silly it was too early uh to get like the anton roussels uh of the world in uh, in you know jason chimera but you want to have some guys that have a lot of experience and to to help out those kids both on and off the ice to be protectors and i i think that you know even with the bad moves you look at this Canucks roster and you see, do they have a goalie of the future? Yes, they do. How's the defense core look? Pretty good right now. For now and more so in the future as Quinn Hughes gets better. You look at the forwards. Do they have a number one center? Yes, they do. Do they have guys to help out that number one center? Yes, they do. So eventually Louis Erickson's contract is going to end or he's going to be traded, even though he does have the no trade clause. JT Miller will help out. Um, to what extent? It's hard to say. But Jim Benning, during his tenure, the Canucks have gotten better. And they're in a better position now than they were before he got there. Uh, at least long term. And you don't count the Sedins because they were franchise generational sure. players. Um and, and to me, that's that's how you mark success. Is, is he is he pushing the ball forward? Yes, he is. Do things look positive for the future? Yes, they do. So let's see if he can keep the uh, the ship going in the right direction. So far, so good. Not too far out from training camp battles or training camps beginning, and there's going to be some some key position battles in there. Uh, Matt, you want to take a look at some of those battles from a fantasy perspective. Um, as a guy who hates fantasy hockey, I'm going to stare off into the corner okay. and think of things I might like to purchase. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, that's right. So this is the time of year. Obviously, the training camps haven't started and we're not seeing preseason games. But I think it's still time to start just understanding what are going to be the key battles. And when I say key battles, I mean position battles that uh, have a winner that will experience a significant increase in fantasy value. So you've got David Riddick in net in Calgary, but they bring in Cam Talbot. And there's been talk, well, is Talbot going to be a threat? On one hand, I think Riddick was better than he got credit for for a lot of last season. But on the other hand, the very fact that they would not trust him in the playoffs, they went right to Mike Smith. They stuck with Mike Smith. It tells you that they don't fully trust David Riddick, which means the door is open for Cam Talbot. So you're going to want to pay attention to that. And that could mean if you if you draft one, you got to draft the other to make sure you have the handcuff. Or you just wait and you don't Sorry, wanna... have the... The handcuff. Fantasy people know. Is that a thing? They understand. Fantasy if, handcuff? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> handcuff is like when you have a running back who gets hurt a lot, you have to have his back. <clears throat> 
Anyways, apologies to them for not understanding. Anyone listening who knows fantasy knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, third. Uh, so, uh, now you're distracted. Me. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> N- William Nylander and Casper Captain. Yes, so in Toronto, we've got Nylander and Captain. The first line right winger job is going to be very important. Playing with Austin Matthews and probably Andreas Janssen on the left. Uh, it was Casper Kapanen getting the shot, but I think that Kapanen, he's a very fast player, but he's not a natural finisher. Nylander is still the better finisher. He's the higher ceiling player. So, I think if you're trying to draft one of the leaves, you want Nylander to win that battle. It's a better fantasy situation, a higher ceiling. The question is, can he win back that trust from Mike Babcock. It's not a given. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't, he's going to be stuck on the third line because he's not going to displace Mitch Marner on the Tavares line. And is that where Kapanen would drop to? If Kapanen would have to that? drop to the third okay. line. So the loser of this battle is going to be a guy that you're, unless you're in a deeper league, you're not even necessarily 100% going to draft. Uh, but the winner is going to be very important. So that's a big battle to watch. And the third one, I really like what the Devils have done with their top six forward group, but I think they have seven forwards that are, that are potentially fantasy relevant. And I think you've got, obviously, Taylor Hall on the left side and Nikita Gusev, probably the second line left winger. And you've got Nico Heischer, you've got Jack Hughes as your top two centers. Kyle Palmieri is locked in on one of the first two lines as the right winger. But there's another spot up for grabs. It could be Jesper Bratt. It could be Wayne Simmons. And Simmons, the money suggests it's going to be him, $5 million for a year. But at this stage of his career, is he more of a checker? Probably. So Bratt, I think, has more potential. So again, you got to watch that battle closely. But I think you want Bratt to win that battle because... He just has a lot more potential to grow. And whoever wins that, again, I really like the Devils' top six this year for fantasy and real-life purposes. Mm-hmm. And, and if you do like fantasy hockey, and, and I joke, I, I get it. Uh, it's just not my bag, but I get it. People like it. If it gets you more involved in the game, more power to you. And if you want more information on that, uh, our fantasy pool guide, annual fantasy pool guide with projections on over 700 players uh, just came out last week. Uh, so you can buy it at the hockeynews.com store or on newsstands everywhere. Or if you're a gold member, which I would very much encourage you to be, you get it as part of your subscription, which is a pretty darn good deal. Because for the extra 10 bucks, you get that and you get money and power and you get all sorts of other bonus stuff. So uh, be sure to pick that up. Uh, future watch. Uh, oh, a couple players. Very interesting. Uh, Kirby Doc and Cole Perfetti. Ryan, let's run those guys down. Yeah, a bit of a summer wrap-up here. You know, Kirby Doc uh, was taken third overall by the Chicago Blackhawks in the 2019 draft, and he was incredible at the World Junior Summer Showcase in Plymouth, Michigan. I was there in attendance. He ended up on a line with uh, Alexis Lafreniere, who could go number one overall this year, and Joe Valeno, the Detroit Red Wings prospect. Uh, Doc started off on another line played so well with those two on early power plays that he got bumped up um, with Akil Thomas, uh, the LA Kings prospect, going down. Doc is big. He's super talented. Great around the net. I kind of have this gut feeling that he could make the Blackhawks, even though he is, you know, going straight from the draft. He's just, he's so good and he looks so poised already playing against not just his peer group, but, you know, in this tournament, you had a lot of obviously 19 year olds as well and, and great international competition. It was the US, Sweden, and Finland there along with Canada. Um, so Kirby Doc, future's looking very bright for him very quickly. And. For me, at least, he sort of showed that he should be on that World Junior team. I think he should be that number one center for the team. Um, another international tournament that just occurred recently, the Holinka Gretzky tournament, which is an under-18 tournament. It's not double IHF, but you still get a ton of talent there, particularly on the Canadian squad where they send their best. Team USA does not. Uh, but Cole Perfetti, who plays for the Saginaw Spirit in the OHL, 
Just incredible. 12 points in five games. One of the best performances in the history of the tournament. This kid just puts on an offensive show. And I mean, the good thing is he's not a flash in the pan because in his rookie season with the Spirit, he had 37 goals. I mean, that's incredible. To flirt with 40 goals as a 16-year-old is amazing. He's a winger. Um, There's not a lot of top-end centers emerging just yet in the draft. Quentin Byfield would be the best. Mm -hmm. Um, But Perfetti, you look at him and it's like, man, the way he scores and the quickness he has in his game, he could easily be a top-five player, even though this is a very strong draft class. And I think he sort of uh, threw down the gauntlet at the Holinka Gretzky tournament. And it'll be really fun to see what he can do with Saginaw this year because the Spirit will have some pretty good players with him once again. I was, Perfetti was unbelievable. It was kind of first time I had seen him over an extended amount of games, and he was unbelievable. But it, it, it did make me think, like, the top end of this draft is going to be ridiculously good. This is, this is a tankable year because even if you end up losing the lottery you're getting a heck of a player in the top five. Yeah, you have Lafreniere, who was one of Canada's best at the World Junior Summer Showcase. You have Quinton Byfield, who was also very good at the Holinka Gretzky. You have the Terror Twins from Sweden, Alex Holtz and Lucas Raymond. Both of them were at the World Junior Summer Showcase. Um, you have Jamie Drysdale on defense, Justin Barron on defense. You have Anton Lindell, who already has a gold medal at the World Juniors, where he played center for Finland last year. Uh, and of course, you have Perfetti. You have Hendrix Lapierre. Um, it's it's going to be a fun year, and it's going to be fun to see how everybody kind of jockeys for a position because there is so much talent all right it's hot take time here on the uh, podcast and maddie you got a good one for us this year let's let's hear who your cup picks are and why i'm just gonna put on my ken campbell hat we actually should get a hot take cap fire yeah it's fire fire. like looks like fire yeah light your head on fire so this take is this take is this take is ken caliber hot i would Mm. say uh, but it's one of those things that I was writing something, and the, I, the the point of it was hot take, so it was bold predictions for the 2019-20 season. But then, the more I wrote about this sort of half-serious, I started to believe it, and now I think I might believe it. Mm. Uh, and that is the idea that the Stanley Cup Final 2020 will be a rematch of the 1996 Stanley Cup Final between the Florida Panthers and the Colorado Avalanche. Okay, mm. I don't think I have to sell you too hard in Colorado. They've been the no. buzz team, so I may as well skip right to Florida. Everyone knows Colorado. You know, great first line, speed. They've fixed the second line. They're going to be pretty formidable. I think we agree on that, yes. right? So yep. it's about selling you on Florida. And the Florida Panthers, they remind me in a lot of ways of the 0809 Chicago Blackhawks when Joel Quenville took over them. Okay, they had the Jonathan Taves, the emerging young outstanding two-way center Alexander Barkov is your Jonathan Taves you had two real horse defensemen in Duncan Keith and Keith Seabrook now you have Aaron Ekblad who's still only what 23 years old and Michael Matheson you have your horses on defense as well and I don't know if you have a Patrick Kane analog but I mean Jonathan Uberdo had 92 points last season and I think that the Panthers this year have more depth than that 0809 Blackhawks team had because you've got a really I think a really good not just top six top nine forward group so your centers are Barkov Vincent Trocek Henrik Borgstrom who has a very high ceiling as a first round pick yep. he's not going to have to face tough matchups as the third center uh, you've got maybe Owen Tippett making the team you've got Mike Hoffman who's hit a career high in goals last year and Jenny Dadanov who gets almost 70 points a year I think it's a very strong group and you've got Keith Yandel led the NHL, I believe, or at least all defensemen in power play points last year. And most of all, of course, you have Sergei Bobrovsky coming in in net. Best UFA goalie signing since Ed Belfour in 97. A two-time Vezina winner. I don't think I think he was the last one since Belfour. 
to be a two-time Bezin winner that was available on the open market. So you look at all those factors put together. I think I see a team that's very deep, also has high-end talent, has a great coach, number two winningest coach of all time, vastly improved goaltending, prime year players. And yes, okay, I know the 0809 Blackhawks didn't win. The next year's team won. But I'm just getting a feeling. I'm looking at this team on paper, and I just like they have a little bit of everything on that roster. Even their depth, they added Brett Connolly, Noel Chari for the sort of two-way or checking type forward roles. And I don't see a lot of holes, even though I know this team didn't even make the playoffs. But, again, this is a hot take. It's not a cold uh, take. It's not a cold uh, take. It's a hot take. You want a hot yeah. take, God damn it. Okay. It's a pequeño. Uh, and I, I, think, I think the Florida Panthers are going to win the Stanley Cup. I, I, I think if this is a gut feeling, you should check what you had for lunch. Because you're forgetting Tampa. Your microbiome is all off. You're forgetting Toronto. Mm-hmm. You're forgetting Boston. That's just in your own division. How, how many playoff series did those first two teams win last year? Donut. If I may use a mat. As a... many as Florida? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. Damn it. But then Florida added all those guys. Come on. If, I, if I may use a matism. Oh, come on. <laughs> yes, I oh, know. I'm on. being playful, but again, I have to point out the name of the segment. I, it's Hot Take. I, I, okay. And I do, you know what? I will say this, though. I like Florida a lot. And when I was filling out my, my awards ballots for this year for our predictions in, in our season preview edition, I, I, I picked a lot of Florida guys because I think this team is really ready to, to get in, but I still think they're fourth in the division. Yeah, they might be. Although, again, the more I was looking at it, it's like Boston hasn't. Boston was wasn't able to add anything because they had to focus on re-signing McAvoy and Brandon Carlo. So they, their roster is almost unchanged. They didn't add. They lost Marcus Johansson and Olachari. They didn't really add much of anything unless you count Brett Ritchie. And the Leafs, we don't know if they've gotten better. Maybe they have. They've changed a lot of their roster, mm. and they went. They doubled down on finesse instead of getting more of a shutdown presence. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe not. I don't know. But I think we can all agree that Florida has made significant improvements yes, on paper. For sure. And I think uh, everyone talks about Bobrovsky, of course, but I, I don't think people focus enough on the Joel Quenville aspect because mm. he's getting some nice clay to mold. He's not inheriting a weak team. Like This team is has a lot of talent on paper. And I think they might, again, if they peak, if everything breaks right, they could be one of the more complete teams in the NHL. And the best thing about a hot take is if someone tries to hold this against me at the end of the year, I'm like, I know it was a hot take. You can't make fun of me for this. Well, I, it, I mean, if if you believe it, put some I money, might. put some money down because yeah. you'll you'll make some you'll make some decent cash. I'm on thinking that about one. it. I don't. I haven't decided that I believe it yet officially. It's so like it's not my <laughs> official pick, but I'm starting. Like it started as a joke pick. Sell your hot take. And then yeah. I started to believe that it's. What I actually believe. Yeah. So, mm. whoa. That's well, deep. The, the, the one thing is they, they do have Barkov, who I think is one of the, except for Tom Thompson, who's you know a scout who does our, our verses for us in the magazine, who, uh, spoiler alert, um, he, he broke down McKinnon and, and uh, Barkov, won two picks um, uh, it, it for our verses in the season preview. And Barkov doesn't really come out as as well as I thought Interesting. he would, surprisingly. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth the read. Um, but Ryan, he was in your top 10, I think, in the top 50 in, in your book. Um, so I, just from our for the from the magazine section, I was interested just exactly how you put together that list. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting exercise. And I, it feels like every year it gets a little more difficult mm-hmm. because just the sheer amount of talent in the NHL right now, it's, it's hard to slot. Like, you're getting into... 
concepts where it's like, oh man, like, do I have room for like Jonathan Taves or Andre Kopitar? But then you have to look at all the talent that's out there and and assess it like that. And for me, you know, center is the most important position in the NHL. So disproportionately, there are more centers than there are any other position. I think there might be 18 in the top 50. And there's actually only, I think, five goaltenders because it just feels like there isn't a dominant goaltender right now or at least one who's on a team good enough to be dominant. Like John Gibson's amazing, but... Anaheim is very poor right now, so it kind of counterbalances that. So, you know, I look at, obviously, talent. I look where the players were at the end of last season. But also, I project a bit for the young guys. So, you know, Barkov is a good example where he's in his peak years now. He's going to be probably slightly better this year than he was last year. Same goes for, say, Austin Matthews, for example. Whereas older players tend to take a bit of a hit. You know, like Mark Giordano, still on the list, still fairly high if I'm not uh, mistaken. But, you know, Mark Giordano is well into his 30s. Yes, he's coming off his first Norris Trophy, and you have to acknowledge that. But what's he going to be like this year versus last year after having such a tremendous season at, you know, a bit of an advanced age? So that's what all goes into it. And you try to get a good mixture of positions. But as I said, you know, center for me is the most important. So you see a lot of those guys uh, up top. And then when you get to the back end, you say to yourself, okay, well, would you rather have a very good center like a Logan Couture or a Matt Barzell? Or would you like to have a pretty good left winger or a pretty good goaltender? So it all goes into that process. And, you know, it's debatable. But that's kind of the fun of it, and I, I, hopefully people enjoy it. Well, I know it's it's fun in the office because there's obviously we have a lot of guys on staff with some some very passionate thoughts, and and during yeah. the vetting process, um, you know there there's a lot of arguments that <laughs> broke out about positioning. I, I think the list is great, and I think also um, for people who enjoy that sort of stuff, we have an expanded version where we do top twenty five by position mm-hmm. uh, in season preview. So if you want to go a little deeper there, but yeah, that was the thing that amazed me when when you and I were having discussions um, about who to, who who to leave off the list because just. Yeah. Missing is kind of the one that's like, well, just to get on there is one thing, but when you got to leave a guy off, and some of the names that just you couldn't squeeze on there, this is an unbelievably deep league now. Totally. I mean, like Miro Heskinen, I'm a huge fan, but he was a rookie, a fantastic one at that, but, you know, it's like, oh man, I would love to have him on the list, but that means that player X does not make yeah. it, and I can't do that, so you know, that's where you get like Elias Pedersen in the 40s, because again, he was a rookie, albeit the Calder winner, but you want a little more of a resume to go off, but I know that those guys are going to be stars as soon as this season, and then it's just a matter of getting them into the fold and other players fall off, more, more likely veterans, but I, it's a tough exercise. Maybe next year, top 100. Sure. Start More now. work for Ryan. More <laughs> work for Ryan. Let's do the mailbag now. Uh, Matt Kramer asks, uh, will Rasmus Ristolainen be traded? Yes. Uh, Shane Comiskey asks. All right. Why will Rasmus Ristolainen be traded? Well, I think it's just based on the roster construction of Buffalo, right? So if you look at the bodies they've added in the last calendar year, or even just since February, they bring in Brandon Montour, right-handed shot. They traded for Colin Miller, right-handed shot. They traded for Henry Yokiharu, right-handed shot. Rasmus Wistelainen is a right-handed shot. And even Zach Bogosian, who's going to start 
season injured is a right-handed shot. So they're just stacked with righties. It's the most premium position in the NHL. So that's a position you could get a lot for, even if people, you know, the analytics community does not love, to put it lightly, does not love Rasmus Ristolainen. As the Cody Ceci acquisition proved, you can still get something for a righty that is young enough to have upside, right? Uh, so they're going to be able to get something good for Ristolainen, and we know they need help at forward. So there's going to be a fit out there for a trade, and Ristolainen, Ristolainen has expressed interest as well. Uh, so to me, he's, if I were to make a list right now, hmm, this is going to be an idea for a blog uh, of uh, players most likely to be traded, you know, by Christmas. Ristolainen would be number one, I think, right up there with probably his, his countryman, Jesse Pugliarvi. I know you've had some pretty strong feelings about Rasmus Ristolainen over the years, so what if he's traded for could the Sabres expect to get back well I think you can at least get sort of a you know like a second line forward yeah um, with Ristolainen you're getting great offense not so much defense but he's got size and I think it's also the problem with Ristolainen in Buffalo was how he was cast sure he was always seen as a top pairing guy and you know he's a world junior hero got off to a, a good start with the organization but it was also an organization that was kind of cratering at the time now the Sabres are on the the up and up and Ristolainen is, you know, he's probably a second pairing guy. Nothing wrong with that, but you have to rate him accordingly. And when you're making a trade, and you know, he, he did recently say that he wasn't really enjoying himself in Buffalo either. And when asked about that, GM Jason Bottle said, like, yeah, that's not really surprising. Um, so I, I think the writing's kind of on the wall there. But I think you can still get some pretty decent assets for Ristolainen because he has some upside. And who knows? Put him with the right partner, and maybe he takes off again mm-hmm. uh, Shane Kamiski asks uh, why is Carey Price considered the best goalie of his generation when Henrik Lundqvist has put up better numbers regular stats and advanced stats Matty mm. you're rubbing your palms dig in Shane Kamiski I'm about to expose you for your straw man argument if you were to purchase a copy of the Hockey News Top 100 Goalies of All Time mm. number 27 is Carey Price <laughs> number 24 is Henrik Lundqvist so uh-huh. we do not consider Carey Price the best goalie of his generation according to our own voting. We have Lungfuss higher. He's had the more distinguished career. So I don't think we can put those words in people's mouths. I do agree that Price maybe gets more hype. And I, I think the reason would be that Price's peak was more invincible. So I'm talking the MVP season 2014-15 and he was also, you know, 2014 Sochi Olympics Team Canada, and I know Ryan. I think you wrote a lot about that in those days about how he he was invincible, mm-hmm. and how there isn't one of those guys now. Yeah, but so I think people might remember Carey Price with that special reverence, but not us. Don't say we said that. Yeah, but not right now. But I mean, yeah. by the time all is said and done, Carey Price will be ahead. If we redo this list in five years, maybe. I mean, assuming he he wins some stuff, we've got to wait and see. Right? We, yeah. I feel it's going to be a tough season for both those guys. <laughs> really? I think I think nice, Lundqvist yeah. is going to have a rebound a little bit. Uh, I see what you're better saying. team. Yes, better, better than team. last year. But Lundqvist is yeah, yeah Lundqvist essentially is, is is a one one a one b type guy in in the Rangers for now. Carey Price is the man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Montreal. But I, I get what your point is. There's there's no guarantee that Carey Price is going to win another heart or his team's yeah. going to win another Stanley Cup during his, his contract. We've yeah. seen the best of these guys, and their best was amongst the very best of all time. But, you know, now it's about, you know, how do they finish up their NHL careers? Right. All right. One game seven, Stanley Cup final. 
Carey Price, Henrik Lundqvist. I'd go Carey Price. Yeah, that's a good question. You know yeah. what? Well, who's what's the team around me? Is, is it Carey Price with the current Montreal Canadiens roster? <laughs> Matt, just answer the question. It's a uh, I don't want to give Shane Comiskey the satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Carey Price. Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah, Jordan, Jordan Bailey asks, which teams are most often listed on players' no-trade lists and which teams are listed the least? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my knowledge of it is more anecdotal, so I can't answer this in an official way, but I think most commonly what you hear or learn uh, is there's the don't-want-to-play-in-Canada complex that a lot of players yeah. have, so you see a lot of Canadian teams. So I think it's it's Canadian versus non-Canadian that's a big factor, and, and also just geography and weather. So I think that places like Edmonton and Winnipeg, so that's doubling down on the Canada and cold weather, very far north. Edmonton, Winnipeg, and I think even Buffalo, like places like that would be the locations you most commonly see. Yeah. At least from what I've, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, and, and I think it's less, you'd think it would be more to do with a team's success, but at least from what I've seen more commonly, it's about location. And I guess it's because players are thinking about, you know, when Life you get style. to the age, yeah, when you get to the age that you can get a no trade clause, you're probably old enough that you might be starting a family, you're getting close to it. So it's more about the family and schools and just how remote or different your home would be if you sure. went to place X. Yeah. And some of it's situational as well. Like years ago, players did want to go to Florida because it was a mess there. Now You'd be fine with going to Florida. Uh, same, you know, with the Islanders for a period. There was a time where team players did not want to go to the Islanders. Now, of course, they have a very strong organization, and players wouldn't have a problem necessarily going there. Um, for teams that, like, I've never heard anybody say, "I don't want to play for." The New York Rangers or the Los San, Angeles San, Kings San, San, or San Jose. Yeah, 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 there's certain destinations. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay would be another one where no one's saying like, "Oh, I hope they don't pick me." Um, you know, there's certain locations where players know it's like it's big city. It's nice, lots of culture. Um, f- you know, fun place to live. I- I've never heard of anybody. Nixing a trade to those places. I'm starting to get the feeling that Vegas is a bit of a, a starting to become a player <laughs> destination now. Yeah. Mark Stone wanting to go there, sign the big deal. Yeah. Uh, Pacioretty, uh, Stastny choosing to sign there. Like, and Flurry. Uh, yeah. Like it, it's it quickly become a place that mm. players want to go to. And, yeah. and I think it's, it has to do with the city, the way it's run, and, and it being a good place to raise your family as well. Yeah. It's especially just the fact that Stone signed the deal so quickly. He just, like, was, he had enough yeah. information. He decided that he was able to commit a full long-term deal the day of the trade, I believe, right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Pretty fascinating. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's funny that the, it, it, and it makes it a lot tougher on these teams like like Winnipeg, like Edmonton, uh, because you're dealing with, you know, the weather and, and the Canada factor and then trying to build a winner and get out of this hole is when it comes to Edmonton makes it a very, very yeah. tough situation. And Buffalo, and I've said this before, people say, oh, they overpaid Jeff Skinner, but I said all along, no, you're going to have to give him $9 million because you got to pay probably a million dollars of Buffalo tax. And I can't, <laughs> I feel bad. I'm not trying to diss Buffalo, but I'm just saying as a market... Like, it's a perception. You know, the downtown, yeah. It's they've built it up a lot better, absolutely, oh, yeah. around the rink, but it's, it's a downtown that tends to be pretty quiet otherwise, and the weather obviously is very snowy. So it's a, I think it's, it's a market you have to overpay to keep guys a little bit. And it's not... I mean, it isn't a knock. I guess it is a knock, but... But, like, these guys can control their, their destiny when it comes to these no-move clauses. And I don't see anybody when you can go and play for a potential winner in San Jose, great city, great organization, 
or Buffalo or even Toronto. I yeah. mean, like it's 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 just a no brainer for these guys, and they they can't be blamed whatsoever for not wanting to play in these places. So um, that'll do it for the podcast today, boys. Thanks a lot for joining me. We got a, another Ken Free version coming up next week as he continues his holidays. Sorry, Kenny, we do miss you, buddy. Uh, until then, I guess I'll probably be back. Stephen, will be back next week. Thumbs we'll up. see what the vote says. Maybe uh, I'll get maybe yeah. I'll get voted Ooh, off the yeah. podcast. Hologram Ken. Maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see Steven next week. Yeah. Instead of producing, it'll be I'll I'll produce. Anybody can produce, right? Sure. <laughs> Plug in this. All right. Well, big thank you to Steven that. for producing, and thanks for listening. We'll uh, talk to you next week.